Welcome to the Sex Ed with DB podcast, brought to you by O School. Sex Ed with DB is an intersectional, feminist, Bay Area-based podcast for folks who want to hear real stories from underrepresented voices as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. Just talk about sex every single day. I used to hump the shit out of everything. I think everybody does. I'm like, if you'd like me to start procreating tough shit, because I'm not gonna. You can't have education. You can't have contraception, but you can't have an abortion. We're still on the the shit end of, of the stick for a lot of medical interventions that would make our bodies function better. And now it's all queer and all messy and all bodies and really great and fantastic. Everyone gets a vibrator! I'm DB, a.k.a. Danielle Bezalow, and I'll be your host. Today, we'll be talking about porn and its impact on young people with my pal, Era Steinfeld, and the Cindy Gallup. Era is a queer and trans facilitator and student, passionately studying and practicing ways of talking to young people about healthy sexuality. They manage and lead discussions about dating violence prevention for a group of energetic high school peer educators. Cindy Gallup is the founder of Make Love Not Porn, whose slogan is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. Cindy is a global sex tech pioneer and champion leading the social sex revolution. This is our last episode of the season, so we hope you enjoy. The world can be a pretty sex-negative place. Society, religion, and culture teaches us harmful beliefs about our bodies, sex, and pleasure. And we're here to help you unlearn them one by one. In O-School's Sex Positive Oasis, you can learn from experts in moderated live streams, explore pleasure, and interact with a diverse community of sex-positive people. Ain't no shame in our sex game. Visit www.o.school to experience an interactive hashtag sexyed session for yourself. Without further ado, here's the lovely era. So, Era, back for season two. Here I am. Just not, you can't get enough. <laughs> can't get enough of the podcast. I'm stoked. I'm so happy you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about your name and your background and who you are and how you identify? And please describe your pink outfit today. All the things. Well, <laughs> let's start with the outfit. I'm wearing a pink dress, pink hair, and pink eyeshadow. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Era. That is a recent name shift for me. Um, very excited about it. Um, I was on season one of the podcast and yeah, stoked to be talking about porn today with you. Yeah. Um, I work for an organization called the Family Violence Law Center. Um, and my primary role there is working with uh, high schoolers in Oakland, teaching them about dating violence and how to talk to their friends about dating violence, um, teaching them how to be peer educators on this stuff. Um, and I am at San Francisco State getting a master's in education um, with a self-titled focus on gender and sexuality. Um, and yeah, this sort of like falls in line at the perfect intersection of those two things that I do. Yeah. Great. And can you talk about how your identities kind of intersect with what you're doing and what you're studying and what you care about? Um, Yeah, I am queer and trans. And that's something that I talk about a lot and will probably bring up a fair amount in this interview. And yeah, when I was in high school, there was like not that many queer or definitely no trans, at least that I was aware of, adult role models that I had. 
Uh, and of course, a lot of adults keep that sort of to themselves for safety and other reasons. But I feel privileged to be as uh, out and loud about my gender identity as I can be um, and hope that me being so loud about it will make it easier for others to just live the life that they want to live. Good. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Me and too. today's episode is all about pornography's impact on young people. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad to have your perspective because I think it's really important to think about how young people are viewing pornography and how they're getting their sex education. And with the internet being so incredibly accessible to most people with an internet connection at home um, or even on their cell phones, um, I think people don't often think about how, how impactful pornography can be on young people. Let's start with you first, um, just to kind of get a sense of your kind of, you know, I think I would identify as a young person. I think that you also identify as a young person, you know, like 25, 26 years old, mid 20s. Um, So I feel like we, you know, discovered porn. I don't know. When did you discover porn? How old were you? (sighs) I discovered porn like almost at about the same time that I discovered the internet. I feel like I was in middle school and my parents very... uh, careful around the internet and you know it was like the early days of the internet when you had to like unplug the phone and plug in the thing and it would like make the series of like beeps and boops and bops and (laughs) static noises and then finally load anything aol um exactly uh and so my parents were like very monitoring of my internet use found out that i went on porn kept me off the computer didn't actually work um but yeah i was in like late middle school i think so maybe like 12 I want to say like, yeah, maybe 12, 12, 12, 13 ish. And I would say that's a really like average age that people are viewing porn, at least in the U S would you agree? Yeah. I was actually just reading. There's a New York times article about porn and porn literacy and porn's impact on young people. And it said, I think it was a study from Indiana university that said, um, the average age, of course, it was like broke it down by the gender binary. And I don't really know how they average that or whatever. But it said oftentimes boys are 13 the mo- the first time they look at porn and girls are 14. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I would love to problematize the gender dynamics of that breakdown. Right. Um, but yeah, so around the same age that I was when I first. According to Internet Safety 101, three out of four children have access to a smartphone in the U.S., One-third of 11 to 14-year-olds have watched porn on a mobile device, and about half of 15 to 17-year-olds have accessed porn on a smartphone or tablet. And when you first discovered it, was it like, ew, what the hell is this? Or was it like, I'm so interested, or a combination of different feelings? It was a combination of different things. My sex ed in in middle school, at least, was very... uh, like focused on reproduction and not focused on like sex itself or like why people have sex in the first place. Like the vast majority of people are having sex because it feels good and it's fun, not actually to reproduce. Um, And so it was this, and of course I wasn't drawing those connections then, but I was like curious about the fun part of it that I wasn't learning about when I was in class. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so it was a way also to like look at different bodies that were just like not my body mm-hmm. um, and to just see like what other bodies looked like when they didn't have clothes on and mm-hmm. what that was like for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of like, wasn't necessarily like for the eroticism of it. It was for the like learning of it. Right. Learning of like how and why sex can be fun. Yeah. And taking in that newness and the mm-hmm. knowledge exactly. of it. Exactly. And how did you, what websites did you discover it on? Was it sharing between your friends or was it really only you doing the research? It was not sharing between my friends. I did not. So middle school, I was like coming out as gay, but I remember like just like google images it wasn't i wasn't i don't remember watching videos until like high school Mm -hmm. um it was just a lot of like i wanted to look at pictures of bodies Mm -hmm. um and like went to my like older cousin's house and there was like playboy and the magazine like case by the toilet yeah so i was like oh this is interesting (laughs) um and so it was like picking up bits and pieces but yeah it was mostly images early on, uh, which then transitioned into videos, I would say like early high school age. Uh Uh-huh. And do you think it shaped like your, your queerness in any way, looking back on the kinds of pictures you were seeing and kind of being like, I don't really know if I'm attracted to these types of bodies, but maybe I am attracted to these types of bodies. Or was that, did that come later? That it was, I don't think it necessarily shaped that. It was, I was just always very curious. Um, and I actually remember finding like bodies that had like boobs and vaginas, like very sexually attractive early on, then went through like coming out as gay and sort of like just, and like, I, you know, there's only, I was like, there's only one way to be queer. And that is for me to like be a gay man. And Mm. that's not how I identify now at all, but it was sort of this, like, I'm going to have to like drop this type of attraction or that these feelings of attraction and replace them with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's all queer and all messy and all bodies and really great and fantastic. Um, but there was, I remember like the switch from like looking up like quote unquote, like pictures of like naked women and then quote unquote, like naked men mm-hmm. um, as like a young child right like not knowing what gender and bodies like really were about right and just being interested mm-hmm. um so fast forward to now do you watch porn currently as an adult i do and do you find it hard to conceptualize the idea at least this is my perception that mainstream porn doesn't necessarily match like values and kind of roles that you see in everyday life yeah it it is, I think, yeah, it doesn't, those two things, like, don't necessarily match. And in my, like, sex life or what I go to porn for is just, like, escape from the reality of, like, the world and values. And obviously, like, I'm not going to try and, like, seek out porn that I think is, like, treating anyone who's in front of the camera or behind the camera, like in any negative kind of a way. Um, And I do really think that like sex workers play a really powerful role in our society. Um, But yeah, there definitely is that disconnect. And there's like certain things that I will just like stay absolutely away from because I don't want like 
messiness or like violence to like infiltrate into my sexual life. Yeah. And I think for me, whenever I have done, you know, searching for porn on Pornhub, often I feel like the most popular videos are like the most foul names of just really intense fetish, like fetishization of different races and cultures and bodies. Or, you know, it's like, watch these five men come on this one girl's face. And you're like, okay, this isn't of interest to me. This is never going to happen to me in my real life. And I don't think porn's whole goal isn't to replicate what's going on in real life. It's for entertainment. Um, But I think it's dangerous to have those be the videos at the forefront. Like Pornhub and porn sites have a lot of power with what videos like are popularized essentially yeah absolutely moving right along so this episode is all about how porn impacts young people and you like i said work with young people Mm -hmm. in your everyday life Mm -hmm. you've worked with middle school students you're currently working with high school students i'm sure that they've made comments about porn um i'm sure it's come up kids get better access to pornography than they do healthy comprehensive sex education that's where some of their social cues come from. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that's definitely true. I think that porn is one of... So, like, mainstream sex education obviously, like, isn't super great. Um, but there are laws in California that is, are supposed to make sex education, at least in California, like, discuss healthy relationships, violent relationships, the, like, social aspect of sexuality Um, And I think that porn plays a huge role in the social aspects of sexuality and is one of the last, like, it's not okay to talk about this to young people in a classroom topics. Mm -hmm. But I think because most young people are looking at porn to figure out, like, how to actually do sex or what sex can actually look like, um, it needs to be discussed because that's where it's... It is. That's where the young people are accessing those videos. Yeah, absolutely. And what kinds of impacts do you think that porn actually has on young people in practice? Um, so I guess what I mean is, have you ever had students with misconceptions about sex because of what they saw in porn? And how do you correct these or inform them about that? Yeah, to use other analogies, like the more we as a society, society are watching like violent movies where there's a lot of death or playing violent video games or we're like first player like shooting people or things like that's not gonna that's not good right overall like down the line it can't always that can't be a good thing um that we're like exposing ourselves to this much violence and i think there is a lot of violence in porn um there's also porn can be a great for a lot of ways and in a lot of for a lot of reasons um but yeah i think when we're sort of like not giving young people access to like what those sites are right when we're just like not talking about porn when young people are just searching for things themselves like you said earlier the first things that come up often are the most violent things and when young people's first exposure to sex and sexuality is through the lens of violence like that that cannot be good like Mm -hmm. that is just gonna saturate one's sense of their sexuality in violent tendencies that could, if we were able or allowed or felt more comfortable, like talking about porn to young people, even just saying that like 
just so you know, the vast majority of porn you watch, like, isn't going to actually be how your sex life plays out. And also, like, people aren't being treated well, like, in the most basic of porn. Mm -hmm. Um, Even just saying those two sentences, I think, could, like, dramatically shift the way young people who are going to porn will receive what they're seeing. According to an organization called Ever Accountable, nine out of 10 boys and six out of 10 girls will be exposed to porn before they turn 18. Not to mention that one out of every seven teenagers will be subject to an online sexual advance. How do you teach about consensual and respectful sex in your classes, Um, knowing that all of this is happening in porn and knowing that kids aren't getting this talk from their parents or guardians at home, most likely about consent in their bodies and knowing how to respect other people's bodies. How does that come up in your class? So we do the four C's of consent, which is not something that I created is borrowed. And I don't remember where it's from at this point. We talk about how consent should be clear, continuous, free from coercion. So that's like a sneaky C, um, and then conscious. And actually conscious is the one that brings up the most because it's the stuff around like drugs and alcohol and people like being of the right mind to engage in sex and how it's sometimes like super hard to read where someone is at if you don't know that person. And how we talk about that in our program is the, if you're going to engage it with a new person or do a new thing with a person you've had sex with before or new thing and new person uh, to be as sober as possible just mm-hmm. so you can pick up on the nonverbal communication because that is where a lot of communication around consent comes from is a, a lot of it is nonverbal and facial cues and the m- more sober someone is, the more likely they are able to pick up on those cues with a new person. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it as sort of this like conversation that needs to happen and not that like it needs to happen every time and you don't have to say like is it okay if I hold your hand for five minutes while we walk down this street on this day together Mm -hmm. a lot of young people like to make a joke that like oh it's you like you're gonna sign a contract in blood saying that like you want to do this on this day with this person Mm -hmm. and I think that like there are some elements of an agreement that must be come to that must come to that people must come to um but it does it doesn't have to be this like hyper fictionalized like on monday at 5 p.m like we're gonna do this for 10 minutes and then tying back into conversations around porn saying that like a lot of times these conversations aren't going to be popular and if you bring this up in a sexual context with a new person like it might be silly because there's we don't have practice at it people don't usually talk about how sex is like usually like a weird like mm-hmm. awkward. usually awkward things happen usually gross things happen bodies have fluids and they can get all over the place and that's another thing that porn doesn't often show is that like slip ups can happen and something can fall out or into somewhere where it wasn't intended or to or something could hurt or something when you could don't hurt realize. exactly like something you really wanted to do like might not feel the best you might have to like switch something in the middle of like a heated moment um and porn it like covers a lot of that up it says like sex is always sexy and is always hot and it's is like fantasy. always going to end in 
crazy orgasms and is always going to be this like steamy experience where nothing weird happens. And that just like is not the reality of most people's sex lives. I would, I would say that most, most like straight porn is no, I don't know about most, maybe just some straight porn men are acting violent towards women and I wonder if that has led a lot of straight women to watch lesbian porn because it is so generally much calmer yeah. Yeah. and less intense. Um, I think that's such an interesting thing to think about that regardless of who you're attracted to, the type of porn that you may be watching is different because of the way that the scripts are set up for the men towards women being violent and it's just so unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. It sort of like, and I, I do have a lot of friends who will watch queer porn because the like nature of gendered aggression like is either like played with in a empowering way in queer porn or is just not there. Um, and not, not that all queer porn is like perfect and the godsend and like the answer to all of our problems right. about porn. But I think that they're, it like more one is more likely to find empowering messages in queer porn than mainstream porn. Mm -hmm. So, what are some good resources for queer porn, for feminist porn that accurately reflects different people, different bodies, different identities, um, a more equal representation of what it's like to have sex? So, there's three websites. The first one is Crashpad. Um, that is one that I'm pretty sure is like SF Bay Area focused or like that's where it happens. And it's very queer feminist porn. You can find people of all bodies and all genders. There is like, you know, you have to pay for it. People who work in porn are like going to it to make money. So there is a money exchange involved. Um, but Crashpad is a really good one. There's also Make Love Not Porn, which is people like putting up their own like amateur videos of them themselves having sex. And I think that's really cool because it's also like not just people who can like make it in mainstream porn because they have mainstream bodies or mainstream genitals or are willing to do mainstream things, but it's people like all people who can put like videos of themselves or with partner partners having sex to turn other people on. So one thing that you want to leave our audience with when it comes to porn's impact on young people, what would it be? I think I would want to say that it doesn't have to all be negative. Of course, like mainstream porn has its negative undertones. Um, but I think that there is a lot of really great porn out there. Um, there is a lot of like consent and communication in some porn. You just have to search more for it. Um, and that I wish more people were talking to young people about porn because even though sex ed is getting better and it's evolving, it's not perfect. Um, and there are always things that sex ed is going to leave out um, where young people are going to porn. So I would say, like, it doesn't have to be all bad. There can be some good stuff in there. Um, and just, like, do your research. I am half English, half Chinese. This is Cindy Gallup. I know I already introduced her, but she's truly the coolest. So here I am saying her name again. Okay, back to the interview. 
My father is English, my mother is Chinese. Um, I was born in the UK, but when I was six, we moved to Brunei in Borneo. So I grew up there in Asia. Um, and I identify as female. Awesome. You are definitely our biggest guest in the spotlight and have loads and loads of followers on social media. Um, I wonder, how do you begin to talk about Make Love Not Porn and your work? Um, well, you know, I always explain to people that um, Make Love Not Porn was a complete and total accident. Um, I never consciously intentionally set out to do anything that I now found myself doing. Um, it all came out of direct personal experience. But um, as the saying goes, the path appears. This one appeared. Right. And I was watching your TED Talk recently, and you're super open about you having sex with younger men and Make Love Not Porn coming through that experience. Can you talk about that a bit more? Sure. Um, so first of all, it's important to note that my TED Talk um, is nine years old. So obviously, Make Love Not Porn has moved on considerably since then in the intervening nine years, directly as a result of the response that talk got. So um, when I say it was an accident, um, you know, I date younger men. And by the way, I'm very public about that because um, I am somebody who has never wanted to be married. I've never wanted children. Um, I am not um, particularly a relationship person. Um, I date younger men um, happily, um, casually, recreationally. And I'm open about all of this because we don't have enough role models in our society for both women and for men that demonstrate you can live your life very differently to the way society expects you to and still be very happy. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so it was through dating younger men that I began realizing 10 or 11 years ago now that I was encountering an issue that would quite honestly never have occurred to me if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. Um, I realized I was experiencing what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's the convergence of both of those factors that results in porn becoming, by default, sex education in not a good way. According to the Huffington Post, porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. So, you know, when, when I found myself experiencing this, I thought, whoa, you know, I know where this behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 10 or 11 years ago, nobody was talking about this. No one was writing about it. This was me in complete isolation with my own experience. And being a naturally action-oriented person, I decided to do something about this. So nine years ago, I put up on No Money this tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that posted the myths of porn and balanced them with reality. The construct was porn world versus real world. Um, I launched Make Love Not Porn at TED back in 2009. Um, I've been going to, to TED for many years. Um, and I became the first TED speaker to have uttered the words, come on my face on the TED stage. The, the talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny clunky website that I had never anticipated. I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. 
And I felt a personal responsibility to now take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective. So um, I saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw an opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global social need. And I use the word big advisedly because even then back in 2009 at concept stage, I knew that if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I was going to have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream, and just as all pervasive in our society as porn currently is. So what I decided to do was, I always emphasize to people that Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst many other benefits, people would then be able to bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is simply manufactured entertainment. Our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is one thing only, which is to help make it easier for everybody in the world to talk about sex. Talk about sex openly and honestly in the public domain. By that I mean parents to children, teachers to schools, everyone to everyone. And even more importantly, talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. The reason that's crucial is because we don't talk about sex, it's an area of huge insecurity for all of us. We all get vulnerable when we get naked. Sexual ego is very fragile. People therefore find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex with the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. Because in that situation, you are terrified that if you say anything at all about what's going on, you'll potentially hurt the other person's feelings, you'll put them off you, you will derail the encounter, you'll potentially derail the entire relationship, but at the same time, you want to please your partner, you want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed, no one knows exactly what that means. And so you will seize your cues on how to do that from any way you can. If the only cues you've ever seen are in porn, because your parents didn't talk to you about sex, your school didn't teach you, your friends aren't honest, those are the cues you'll take to not very good effect. So given this mission of talk about it, I decided to take every dynamic in social media and apply them to this one area that no other social network or platform is ever going to go in order to socialize sex and to make real world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. So five years ago now, um, my team and I launched the first stage of this vision, makelovenotporn.tv, which is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex. But we're very clear what we mean by this. We're not porn. We're not amateur. We're building a whole new category on the internet that has never previously existed, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube, or rather it would be if Facebook and YouTube allowed sexual self-expression and self-identification, which, which they don't. So social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're just about doing what you do on every other social platform. 
capturing what goes on in the real world as it happens spontaneously in all its funny, messy, glorious, silly, ridiculous, beautiful, wonderful humanness. We curate to make sure of that. Our curators watch every single video from beginning to end. We do not publish it unless it's real. And we have a revenue sharing business model. You pay to rent and stream social sex videos. And then half that income goes to our contributors, or as we call them, our Make Love Not Porn stars. Because we would like our Make Love Not Porn stars one day to be as famous as YouTube stars for the same reasons, authenticity, realness, individuality, and we want them to make just as much money. One day we want to hit the kind of critical mass where your social sex video gets a million rentals at $5 per rental and we give you half that income. We are the answer to the economy, by the way. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That was super fascinating. Um, I also just like love the way you tell the story and you're super articulate and brilliant and I'm just total fangirl. So thank <laughs> you so much. Um, so you said that this happened and kind of came nine years ago. That's when you did the TED Talk and kind of when it went viral. Um, do you um, currently watch porn? And if you do, how do you explain um, to the masses that, you know, this is social sex, this is not porn? Um, what in your marketing or your advertising kind of talks about that? Um, so um, uh, 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 let me just contextualize um, my response to that question, um, because we do zero marketing and advertising because we have no money. Um, the one thing I did not realize when I embarked on this venture was that I would fight an enormous battle every single day to build it, essentially because every piece of business infrastructure any other tech startup can just take for granted. We can't because the small print always says no adult content. And this is all pervasive across every single area of the business in ways that people outside this sphere do not realize. I cannot get funded. I cannot get banked. It took me four years to find one bank here in the US that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. Our biggest operational challenge is payment processing. PayPal won't work with adult content, Stripe can't, mainstream credit card processors won't. Every single tech service that I want to use, be it hosting, encoding, encrypting, the terms of service always say no adult content. I, I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they'll let me, sometimes they won't. That process is very labor intensive, as you can imagine. We had to build our entire video streaming, video sharing platform from scratch ourselves as proprietary technology, because existing streaming services, off-the-shelf components, won't stream adult content. Um, I'm so jealous of friends who built startups on Vimeo. Quick, easy, simple, I can't do that. Even something as apparently simple as finding an email partner to send our membership emails out with. Um, MailChimp won't work with adult content. We were rejected by six or seven before we found SendGrid who would. So forgive me if I laugh hollowly when you mention the terms marketing and advertising. We do because we have no money right. for any. We've been bootstrapping for five years. Our growth has been entirely organic. Um, we do nothing to, 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 to prompt it. It's been driven by two things, media coverage and search. The one benefit of a controversial startup is that we get ongoing media coverage all around the world without doing a single bit of media or PR outreach, which is great because, you know, we have no resources or money to do that anyway. Nevertheless, um, despite those challenges, at five years old, we have 500,000 members globally. 
We have over 200 Make Love Not Porn stars. We've had over 2,000 videos submitted um, in the course of our life cycle. We began taking in revenue on day one. Our monthly revenue is very low, um, given all the payment processing challenges. Um, but the point is that in a world where received wisdom is nobody pays for porn, people are paying for social sex. We've taken in nearly $1 million in revenue over five years. That figure would be a lot higher if we didn't have the payment processing challenges. And we've done all of this um, with only two full-time employees, one of whom is me, unpaid. Scalable or what? And so, you know, um, in terms of marketing ourselves, um, that's been me as a one-woman marketing machine explaining what social sex is and what we are. And I'm happy to tell you that um, um, just um, two months ago, I was able to announce that, you know, after three years of trying and banging my head against brick, brick walls, I finally managed to raise the $2 million funding that we needed to scale. And I've been saying for years that I can't wait to raise funding and scale because then I can stop talking. And what I mean by that is we are doing something so unique and unlike anything else out there that I have to talk a lot to explain it. Now that we're funded and we can scale, the moment we operate at scale, it's self-evident and I can stop talking and I cannot wait to stop talking. You're so good at it, though. People love it. Um, and how is Make Love Not Porn empowering its users through this social sex revolution. Uh, what are your users describe as the benefits of participating in this? Well, here, here's the really interesting thing, because we, we are um, a social experiment. You know, we're putting this platform out there. We do not dictate what social sex is. You, the world, you, our community, show us. And we're doing it in a way that's never been done before. We call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the social. And so, um, first of all, um, for our members who, who join us to, to, to view videos, that they get the fact that we're not simply something you watch. You know, we're a community. We're an engagement vehicle. Couples watch our videos together. We're a communications platform because our videos spark conversations. And they do that in all sorts of ways because... You know, here's the difference between social sex um, and porn. And by the way, again, as I said earlier, we don't compete with porn at all. Our competition is other social media. We are a complement and a counterpoint to porn because we are the real world, you know, um, um, version of sex. So porn is purely and right. simply masturbation material. You know, that's what it's designed for. We are not just that. We are that too. Extremely happy to be that. But we are many more things on top. So... For example, social sex is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything, real world bodies, real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size. It is glorious to see people who look just like you and me having an amazing time in bed. And by the way, our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex and they really are. Then social sex is also reassuring because we celebrate the accidents, the awkwardness, the messiness. If you only learn about sex from porn, porn teaches you that sex is a performance. Nothing must go wrong. Oh my God, it did. How excruciating, embarrassing. Whereas we go, if you can't laugh at yourselves in bed, when can you? And so, you know, our videos show wonderfully ridiculous things like you know, one couple's having sex and their cat jumps up on the bed, strolls around, watches them. You know, another couple, um, you know, there they are having sex. 
Her mother calls. For some reason, bizarrely, she answers the phone. God knows why. Everything goes on hiatus. You know, the <laughs> husband goes off into another room. She talks to her mother, finishes the call. Because this is what happens with real world sex. Then um, right. we celebrate real world emotions, love, intimacy, feelings. Our members write to us and our Make Love Not Porn stars. And they say things like, you know, one man wrote and said, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you looked at each other. I saw the way your eyes met. I really hope one day I can meet somebody that I will have that with. Um, so, so we get amazing responses from members about our videos. I mean, members write to us saying things like, you saved our marriage. You know, we, we, we haven't had sex in wow. years. And because we're social sex, you know, it's fine for the husband to save the wife or vice versa. You know, came across this, you know, what do you say? Should we check it out? And then they write and say, oh, my God, best sex since our wedding night. Um, we, we have a Make Love Not Porn baby. Um, a couple wrote to us in our first year, um, and they said, we've just come back from the doctor. We've been trying for a child for ages. The scan proved what we suspected. Our child was conceived the night we watched this particular video on Make Love Not Porn. And they said, we're not going to say we could have done it without you, but you really helped. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? So, so that's, awesome. that's our members yeah, that's who love great. doing. And then, you know, what is really fascinating is that our Make Love Not Porn stars, our contributors, um, tell us that socially sharing their real world sex has been as transformative for them and their relationships as socially sharing everything else has been for the world at large. So we are all inclusive, you know, LGBT. We have a lot of solo um, videos, um, you know, men and women who've shared themselves, you know, um, masturbating. Um, and, and, and by the way, um, separate to one category, um, Make Love Not Porn is the only place on the internet where porn stars share the sex they have offset in the real world, uh, which makes our point that, you know, pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, a few of our Make Love Not Porn stars have filmed themselves for each other before. The vast majority had never, ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before. They're doing it for us because they believe in our social mission. So our solo Make Love Not Porn stars tell us that sharing videos of themselves masturbating made them love themselves more. It enhanced their sexual sense of self, you know, their sexual self-esteem. Couples tell us it transformed their relationship. Because when you decide to film yourselves having sex, you have to talk about it. And when you talk about it, it doesn't matter how long you've been together, the conversation goes places it's never, ever gone before. Couples write to us and say, we thought we were open. This just took our relationship to a whole new level. And so, you know, it, it really is, um, you know, to bringing social sharing to sex is as powerfully transformative everyone as bringing social sharing to everything else has been for the world at large. Right. Absolutely. What would your call to action be for our listeners here at Sex Ed with DB when it comes to make love, not porn, when it comes to really, really understanding what you're doing and joining the social sex revolution? Sure. So, so first of all, I would urge everybody listening to please join us at makelovenotporn.tv, sign up and rent videos to support us. But also people say to me, Cindy, how can we support you? You know, to, um, I've joined up, you know, I've rented a video. If I want to invest, I'd give you all my money, but sadly, I don't have any. Um, and, and so that there's one very simple thing, one micro action that everyone can take to be a part of the social sex revolution. And it's this. If you want to help us and be a part of what we're doing, just talk about sex every single day. 
And let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean literally, in case you're nervous about this, whoa, go out there and talk about sex. I mean that when you are having a conversation in the course of your daily life and work, where if we were not so screwed up about it, it would be perfectly natural to talk about sex as a part of it, do that. So I'll give you my own example. Um, On Facebook, you know, we all regularly see from our friends things like, you know, maybe it's a friend's birthday and, you know, they've got some fabulous birthday celebration, a dinner, a party, whatever it is. Or maybe they're on vacation and they're, you know, um, vacationing in some wildly envy-inducing tropical location. So, you know, they'll post photos and people will leave comments underneath them. And so I will always leave a comment um, like, you know, if it's a birthday celebration, I will comment saying, happy birthday, I hope you had great birthday sex. If it's a gorgeous photo of some amazing tropical beach, I'll say, wow, it looks amazing, I hope you had great sex on that beach. Because you know they are. And and this this is what I mean by socializing and normalizing sex. We should absolutely be talking about sex openly, honestly, and straightforwardly and normalizing it and taking the shame and embarrassment out of it in the same way we do everything else. And so that's one micro-crash that I'd love all your listeners to undertake to be a part of the social sex revolution. Sex Ed with DB is brought to you by O-School, a place to unlearn shame, explore pleasure, and interact with a diverse community of sex-positive folks through daily live streams. Forget sex ed. Our hashtag SexyEd is far more satisfying. Go to www.o.school to learn more. Our creator, host, and producer is me, Danielle Bezalow, a.k.a. DB. Our content editor is Katherine Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Carissa Diaz. Our audio engineer is Katie McMurrin. Our social media lead is Lisa Fireman. And our fundraising coordinator is Carly Yoshida. Music by Joaquin Carud and the artist Buddha. Thank you to our featured voices and our listeners. Tune in next time.